Marky Ruby, if you could open us up in prayer, please. If you have your Bibles, let's turn again to First Chronicles chapter, Second Chronicles chapter one, and this is our fifth lesson. Almost done lesson number four. We're going to try to finish up. claiming that we'll ever get to being able to utilize 100% of our uh, intellectual uh, capacity and various levels of potential, but I think we can get beyond 10%. And there are specific things that you can do that can bring that about. And one of my points last week was that a lot of people uh, are not going to want to get out of the 10%. That's where you're comfortable. That's your comfort zone. Uh, it's trouble. It's risk. Uh, you're going to fail when you try to break out of the 10% that you currently utilize and venture into new territory. You're going to ultimately fail sometimes and stumble, and some people can't handle that. They just can't. They can't handle it intellectually and emotionally. Uh, and so... Uh, that's the direction. Uh, Genevieve mentioned last week, and it was actually the um, uh, lesson for today, but I've got to finish last week on uh, the dynamics of uh, your emotional life and how that is uh, directly connected to your intellectual expression and capacity. Someone, for example, who is emotionally immature, Someone who is impulsive, someone who can't exercise self-control, uh, that is going to diminish your potential in life. Emotionally immature men, not going to, generally not going to succeed. They don't have the levels of self-control uh, that need to be exhibited in the face of frustrations and difficulty when patience is called for. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that, begin to talk about that today, the, the connection between your emotional life. And it was very, very interesting because yesterday I was flying home from preaching at a rally in the Midwest, and I was flying home from St. Louis, uh, and I sat next to a, a guy who had a very strong uh, European accent. And so when I heard him talking to someone else, I asked him where he was from, we got to talking uh, and he's a uh, medical doctor with the German military who was stationed here in El Paso and Alamogordo. And now he's retired, but he was coming back to El Paso to visit somebody. Uh, and I was talking to him. And then after I talked to him, I was working on my message for today. And he was looking at it and he asked me if I was a chaplain. That's 
how he refers to a preacher being in the military. And so we got to talking, and I was telling him about what I was teaching on in Sunday school. And so this is a medical doctor. He's not a Christian at all. He was open. I got to minister to him a little bit. Uh, but when I got into what I was uh, teaching in our Sunday school on uh, discovering your genius and so forth, uh, uh, he made the statement. He said, you know, there is a connection between a person's emotional life. He said this, uh, their emotional life and uh, what you're talking about. And I just thought that was interesting that he would uh, uh, draw that conclusion. And it just happened to be what I was uh, uh, teaching on today. So we got in quite a long discussion uh, about that. So let's look then at our text. It's Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 1. Uh, this is the story of Solomon and the incredible wisdom and ability that God gave him. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David my father be established For you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this great people of yours? Uh, Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life for yourself, but you have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings uh, who have, uh, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any uh, after you have uh, the like. And then we're skipping, if you could grab uh, 1 Kings 4.29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. Uh, Wiser than Ethan, than Herman, right here we have Herman, uh, the sons of Mao, uh, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, his songs were 1,005, and he spoke of trees from the cedar of Lebanon even to the hyssop the springs out of the wall, that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, birds, creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear uh, the wisdom of Solomon. So we know that a brain can be wired in certain ways. I made the uh, uh, statement last week that everybody has essentially the same brain, but they're not all wired the same. They have the same uh, uh, components, uh, the same various uh, parts and dynamics uh, But different different people's brains are wired in different ways. For example, uh, some people have great intellectual capacity in science, in mathematics, uh, while someone else may be dumb in that area. How many are dumb in that area? Uh, You 
brain doesn't work that way. Other people have great artistic capacity in music, in uh, painting, for example, uh, and other forms of artistic expression. Uh, uh, and it just depends on how the brain that we all have uh, is actually wired. Now, I'm using a term that I'm not really going to explain further than that. I'm not a neurologist. I've done a lot of reading on this uh, uh, and you can uh, read your own material. But the simple statement is that a brain has incredible potential, uh, and some of that potential can be realized in our text. It was through prayer, wasn't it? He prayed and said, God, give me wisdom. And we're learning that uh, this wisdom, or getting from the 10% of your capacity that you use into the 90%, uh, that leap can be made by things that you do. Uh, in your life. Um, and in our verse here that I just read from uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, when the Bible describes uh, uh, the wisdom, it has a number of different features. He had understanding and largeness of heart, the Bible says. He could now sit, uh, counsel with people. He had the wisdom to bring them the answers uh, uh, that they needed. He had artistic ability. He wrote uh, Proverbs and uh, uh, he wrote songs. He had musical uh, instincts and abilities, and he had knowledge of nature. The Bible there refers to how he spoke of trees uh, and uh, animals and birds. He uh, was able to grasp an understanding uh, uh, of how uh, nature functioned and operated. So we're looking at one, two, three, <coughs> four things that you can do that will enlarge your intellectual capacity. Now, when we go through these, some people will not do these. They just won't. They're not going to have a prayer life. They're going to pull back when it comes time to risk and exercise faith uh, and so forth. I'm just giving you these to challenge you uh, to exercise yourself because I just simply don't believe that if God gave us capacity and we're not utilizing it for His glory, there's something that is not of God in that. Solomon said, Lord, I need wisdom so that I can minister to your people. And of course, God wanted him to have that wisdom and gave it to him. And so we talked about how, uh, well, there's actually six things that we're looking at. One is you have to recognize uh, that this can happen, that the expression of genius uh, is something that has to be triggered. You have an amount, you have an ability, you may have a diploma, you may have a college degree, you may understand uh, various features of the work that you do, the job that you have, uh, but all of the knowledge that we have is very limited, and we hit a lid every once in a while where we reach our capacity. That's what the term is in business. You hit a lid. You don't go beyond that. Uh, and that's where Solomon is at. God, I can't do this. I'm king, but I can't fulfill my obligations, especially when it comes uh, to counseling the people. So he hit a lid, and what God did was simply raise the lid and gave him greater capacity and greater ability. So you have to recognize that. And in recognizing that, uh, we discover that one of the great enemies that I've mentioned is the enemy of your comfort zone. You have a certain way of functioning, certain things you do every day. We are confident. There's not a lot of risk, not a lot of challenge. 
And a lot of people don't want that. They want a comfort zone, a place where they are safe, they feel safe, and they don't want more than what they have. I'm not addressing, uh, uh, well, I am addressing that, but I'm trying to get you uh, outside the boundaries of your comfort zone. So we mentioned two things uh, last week, and we're going to deal with the other uh we mentioned three things last week. First is recognizing what I just mentioned. Second is that you need to make this a feature of your prayer life. And thirdly, uh, you need to be willing to exercise risk, faith, and what comes along with risk and faith? Failure. You have to be willing to fail, as Peter did when he walked on water. That was definitely uh, beyond his capacity It took faith to get him on top of the water, and then he failed. He sank. So you have, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. You will do anything to avoid failure in your life, and if that's what you do, if that's your disposition, you're going to remain in the 10%, you're going to remain in a comfort zone, and you're not going to get outside the boundaries of that. So I want to talk about number four now, and I mentioned it, uh, but remember, I, I mentioned all of these, but we're now expanding the thoughts Uh, on these. Uh, and the fourth one is that intelligence, and I believe maybe not just sheer intelligence, but uh, uh, your creative ability, the ability to create, the ability to imagine, the ability to get outside the boundaries of what you know has a lot to do with your willingness to serve people. That was the context of of Solomon's request. He didn't ask for money for himself. I wonder, what would you ask for with your current level of spiritual maturity if God came and said, ask whatever you will and I will give it to you? How many of us would immediately gravitate something for ourselves? You don't have to say amen. Just, I know it's true. But he, well, he asked for something for himself, but for the benefit of others. It was in the context of serving people, and I think this is the real key. You may want more and greater and a higher level of capacity, but your focus is on yourself. And I think that's going to be very limiting. When your boundaries are expanded to serving people, serving humanity... When you get involved in ministry uh, and your objective is to help others, uh, something in our physiological, intellectual capacity begins to automatically be enlarged. I read that scripture. You can put it up, James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasure. So you ask, but God doesn't give you because selfishness. You see, there's limiting boundaries around the selfish person. If Solomon had asked for riches or for long life or for the elimination of his enemies, he may very well have gotten all that, but he would have remained the same man internally. He wanted something to change inside of him. If you want something to change inside of him, then get involved in ministry. Start serving people. Start thinking more about others than you do yourself. The greatest levels historically of creativity, invention, 
Imagination happened in the context of someone trying to meet a need. I mentioned Henry Ford. He had this vision of getting automobiles in the hands of the common person. In those days when he was coming up, vehicles were only for very wealthy and rich people. They were, it was a very slow process to manufacture them. It took months. You had to order one, and maybe months or a year or two later, you would get your automobile, and they're only for rich people. He came up with a way to inexpensively manufacture automobiles. He invented the conveyor belt, and when he was finished, they were putting cars together in 56 minutes, and they were rolling out 2,000 automobiles a day. The prices dropped, uh, and this was a service to humanity, and we still utilize uh, some of the uh, ideas and the technologies and uh, the various features of manufacturing uh, that he created because his vision was to serve humanity. And I used other, uh, uh, other examples. So if Henry Ford lived just for himself, none of that would have ever happened. It may have been he did have gifting and ability, but if it was always and only how can I better my life, how can I make myself happier, how can I fulfill my dreams. And, of course, there was reward in what he did, but if you talk to a lot of creative people, you find out that their thrust in life, their source of happiness in, is not in the money or the rewards they get, but it's in the actual uh, creation and creativity uh, they express uh, in their life. So focusing on others releases something very, very powerful when you fix your Attention on meeting needs other than your own. Something very powerful is released, I think, in terms of creativity and the expression of genius. And a lot of that may very well flow directly from God. People can inadvertently tap into a dimension of serving people that God may get involved with, even though those people may not be saved. If it results in helping people if it results in serving the interests of people. Where do people get these ideas? You know, it's one thing to get an idea and another thing to make it happen. I mentioned uh, uh, Dr. Michael DeBakey uh, uh, went to medical school in the late 1920s, became a medical doctor specializing in uh, issues of the heart. He was a cardiologist, but back in those days, people were dying of heart attack, uh, and life expectancy was in the late 40s and 50s for men, uh, and much of that was because of heart disease, uh, heart attacks, uh, um, uh, blocked arteries, and so forth. Uh, well, he began to examine, put his mind to how can I help, how can I save lives, how can I uh, prevent all of this. And he came up with the most incredible devices. It was his inventions uh, that uh, uh, created the ability to uh, have uh, heart transplant surgeries, do open heart surgery. Uh, they could, uh, uh, the device that he uh, created, uh, you could open somebody's chest, uh, plug his uh, arteries into this machine, and then fix the heart, work on it, and then uh, put it back. He had to invent this. He had to create this. It came from nothing, out of his own mind. He wanted to do something to help, and this creative genius uh, was released. And so I think that's something that we need to think about, we need to consider. 
And we need to examine what this means to us personally. How can we better position ourselves to serve people that will release creative capacity and ability? Now, the last one of these that I want to mention uh, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, while there's going to be no argument with that, you may uh, never develop a sufficient prayer life to increase your intellectual capacity. You may not, you may decide, no, pastor, I, I don't really want to serve. I just want to live for myself. Or, you know, you may have different things that are operating in your personality and character that uh, are not going to gravitate to this. But we all agree with the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I want to talk here about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit being filled with the personhood of God is what this really means. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the part of God, the triune, the one-third, the part of God that invests His power in our lives for expression. And this, of course, by the very nature and by virtue of being baptized in the Holy Ghost, it's going to have an impact on your mind. It's going to have an impact on your creative ability. Sin is what diminishes creative ability and capacity. Being filled with the Holy Spirit expands the boundaries of your limitations. That's why being filled with the Holy Ghost needs to be a daily objective. If you're not praying every morning to be freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, you're missing out. And I think uh, to a large degree, even in our fellowship, uh, we have a wrong mentality about getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you say, well, if I ask you how many of you have been filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll raise your hand because you got filled with the Holy Ghost 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or a year ago. But what about since then? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that is spoken of in the durative tense, like uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That literally means believe and keep on believing. Be filled with the Holy Spirit means to uh, get filled and continue being filled. And if that's going to be your daily experience... Uh, then you're going to have to pray afresh every morning, just like you did the first time. Lord, fill me afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at some of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what it actually does. And I believe this has physiological, emotional, and intellectual components and consequences. Mark 13:11. we use this. Uh, I think last week is one of the texts, but Mark 13, 11, But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but the Holy Spirit will, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that God puts his hand in your mouth and starts moving it for you. But it means your capacity has increased. You're able, you're able essentially to channel God and His wisdom and what He would want to say if He was there in person. 
This is an incredible. We have a lid. The lid is we function within our own strength, our own ability, our own levels of sensitivity, our own knowledge. What does the Holy Spirit do? It gets you out of the 10% into the rest and gives you greater ability. So that when you talk, being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to say things that wouldn't occur to you if you weren't filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to be able to exhibit wisdom for the moment that will touch people's hearts. Remember when... Uh, a good example of that would be when uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was in front of uh, uh, King Agrippa. And King Agrippa said, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Why? Because the words that he spoke were anointed of the Holy Spirit and they had impact in his life. You can speak words of truth to someone and nothing really happens. They don't really think about it. But when you're channeling God himself... Uh, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, you can have powerful uh, uh, impact. And it's very clear when you look at the Scripture that being filled with the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with the function of your mind. Right? Sin, we all know sin makes people stupid. They make bad decisions. They may have potential and abilities uh, that are very obvious, but they can't exercise them. They can't uh, express them. They have no discipline, for example, or they're lazy. Uh, all sorts of things aren't realized because of sin. It quashes. It limits. It puts boundaries around your life. But when you get saved, those boundaries are partially lifted. And then when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, vast doors and windows begin to open of opportunity, uh, of growing intellectual uh, capacity, of greater levels of intelligence, understanding human nature, how to function. So the Holy Spirit uh, uh, opens these doors. Uh, and so therefore, you ought to be praying for a fresh outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit Every day in your life, when I pray every morning, that's part of my prayer. It doesn't take very long. Lord, fill me afresh right now, this morning, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I can sense when I pray that in faith that something is occurring that is equipping me to handle the challenges that are going to come that day. And so the Bible is very clear about the limiting consequences of sin. When Peter, uh, in Acts chapter 8, was dealing with Simon the sorcerer, remember Simon the sorcerer had gotten saved, but he still had a lot of issues, and Peter said to him in Acts 8.23, he said, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Poisoned and bound. What happens when you're poisoned? You're doubled over, you're in pain, you can't do anything. You're limited. And the word bound there means to be restrained or restricted. So I think that has physical, emotional, intellectual consequences. You're literally restrained so that you cannot express. And I think probably a lot of people, they're not even using 10% of their capacity. They're using far less. But being born again, being saved, the shackles break, the chains fall off, the prison door opens, we walk out into a new world, and something transpires internally, our hearts, our minds, and then we get filled with the Holy Spirit, and that advances even further uh, in lifting the lid 
on the limitations. So let's look at this specifically because uh, we have a number of verses. We'll start with 1 Corinthians 2.16. And this is what salvation and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit accomplishes in our lives. 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Think about that. The mind of the Lord. What would it be like? What kind of mind is the mind of the Lord? It's boundless. It's limitless. It's eternal. There may be 10% that we're using, 100% that we could use, but that 100% in God's world is nothing. His knowledge, capacity is eternal and everlasting. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I don't have words to fully describe that. But when you get saved, you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you step into a dimension called the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That mind, it doesn't mean that we have all the capacity of God's mind, but we're stepping into the arena of it, and we can begin to incorporate that into the reality of our life experience. Philippians 2.5. The humbled and exalted Christ is what this verse is about. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you might initially think, well, that's an impossibility. The mind of Christ Jesus have any, anything to do with me? I got all these problems, all these issues, all these habits, all these things that are Troubling my life, but the Scripture is making a definitive statement there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that must mean that it's a possibility. The mind of Christ, we're down here unsaved, we get saved, and we begin to gravitate toward, and pieces of it can now be deposited. And we begin to function uh, in a different dimension. And I think that's the beginning, actually, of getting out from the 10% Getting saved, born again, getting filled with the Holy Ghost, I think by virtue of uh, something that should happen automatically, we step outside of the boundaries of our limitations by the fact that sin is no longer the factor that holds us back. Iniquity is no longer poisoning our lives. And then Romans 12:2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here the mind is mentioned again in a little bit of a different context, and it's saying that our minds need to be renewed. Sin has messed you up, and it still continues to mess us up if we allow ourselves to be subjugated by carnality and selfishness and pride. I think... Christians should be in a continual state of our minds being renewed, adopting to the mind of Christ and choosing otherwise outside the boundaries of our former way of thinking. Or uh, the Bible also refers, of course, to having a carnal mind. Mind, a carnal mind. A carnal mind is not compatible with the mind of Christ. You've got to shed your carnality. So, for example, carnality is exhibited uh, perhaps... Uh, in your life when you're offended, you get angry, 
You get mad. And you won't forgive. You won't let offense go. That is having a carnal mind. And that carnal mind is going to conflict with the mind of Christ. So you're not going to be able to grow intellectually. Your capacity is not going to increase. And there are other examples, of course, we could use. But uh, I think uh, the, the level of carnality should be something that you should assess today, perhaps, at the altar as a result of this Sunday school, because that's going to hurt you. It's going to limit your potential and your capacity. If you can manage to forgive and love people that hurt you the worst, this this, this is the mind of Christ. That's what enables you to tap into a mind that is not your own. God's mind, the mind of Christ, with its limitless uh, uh, capacity and with its limitless ability. Amen. Let's, let's stop there. I want to segue, and all I'm going to do today is give you the introduction to where we're going to go next week. Uh, and we're going to talk about emotional intelligence next week. So does anybody have any questions about what we've talked? So we've talked about five things that you need to do. Uh, number one, you have to recognize that you're living here within very restricted boundaries, and you want to step into a greater dimension. Number two, you need to make this a feature of your prayer life. Uh, number three, you need to incorporate risk, willingness to fail, try things you've never done. Without that, you'll never get outside those boundaries. Number four, you need to primarily be oriented in your life towards serving others more than you serve yourself. And number five, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost every day. And recognize that that's the agency that opens up the boundaries so we can incorporate the mind of Christ. So anybody have any questions or comments about uh, anything that we've looked at thus far in this Sunday school on discovering your genius? Amen. Any question, any comment, anything to add? Mary Reyna? Why does that happen every time somebody gets a microphone? Okay. Very good. Thank you. This week I was reading in my devotion, um, Potential of a Person, and the first thing he says was that we are made in the image of God. We have to stand by a great image. God is the Almighty. God is the All-Powerful. God is the All-Knowing. And uh, we are created to be in His image. That way, we should strive to be more like Him daily. And the first thing He mentioned, we have to put the mind of God in our hearts. Amen. Yes, amen. That's the potential in, you know, your devotional Bible reading. I think, has an incredible impact in uh, your intellectual capacity being able to grow as you read the Word of God and meditate on it. Most Christians don't read their Bible every day statistically. And those who do, 
average three minutes, you're going to stay dumb. You're going to stay spiritually limited. And there's something about God's Word, the nature of it. Jesus called it the bread of life. His words are spirit in their life. So when you read those words, meditate on what you have read, a good part of the joy that I experience during the course of the day is reading my Bible and then meditating on it periodically during the course of the day. I remember what I read. The next day I might forget what I read the day before, the day before that. But it provides me with a great source of nourishment, enjoyment, and I believe that my, my mind and my heart are expanding as I meditate uh, on God's Word. Very good, Mary. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Carlos. Pastor, um, I think it's a big advantage uh, when we get saved um, to be part of our, like our church and, and serving God because if uh, when I look at my life um, out there in the world, if you take the element of, of God away from me, my relationship with God, my prayer and stuff like this, I'm another, just, just another human being out there yeah. with no advantages and everything like this. But I, I do believe that um, my prayer life, my waking in the morning and praying and, and asking God to guide me through that day and everything has changed, like you said, my mind, basically, yeah. because... All things are possible with Christ. So that means that when I pray and I, and I face the wor- that day, the world, I make better decisions because God is with me and, and stuff like this. And it's almost sometimes I even feel it, that it's unfair for my competition that don't have God yeah. compared to me because God is with me and, and, and gives me so many advantages. And, and it, it, gives you the, it gives you a better ability to squash your, up your uh, competition. Business, you know. No, that's a powerful uh, statement there that he's making. Just the daily exercise of prayer and reading your Bible and, you know, uh, getting filled with the Holy Spirit. The dynamics of that makes life so much, uh, uh, so much better. Somebody else. Very, very good. Uh, George and then George, and then Sage, very quickly. You know, Pastor, this morning on Serious Men, Ernie did an excellent study on forbearance. And uh, he emphasized how important it is. And that is one of the, uh, you know, one of the many, many things, many elements of character that we all need to exercise. And, And, you know, as the class progressed, it is clear that we never arrive. You know, what you mentioned earlier about we're looking for comfort, we're looking for, you know, for, and that's not what God called us to do. He called us to consistently, uh, Ernie described it as a, you know, a lifting weights. In order for you to build strength, you have to have resistance. Yeah. And, And life is a resistance. You know, constantly, like you mentioned, making mistakes and, you know, trying again and, and so forth. And you build strength. Yeah. And, uh, but he, he did an excellent study on forbearance. And, and it was a very, you know, he emphasized how important it is. How some things in that state can actually ruin other things yeah. in your Christian life. Amen. And it was, 
it was it was a good study. Awesome, very good. Thank you, Ernie, for that. Uh, George, just talking to uh, uh, George Lopez uh, this last week and uh, this past week, and you know, it's amazing how you said uh, sin makes you stupid. It really does. You know, it's just, but it's to the extent where you know you you know you deal with backsliders. I, you know, I remember I backslid uh, for two years, and, and now I'm uh, dealing with a couple of backsliders. And, and everything you learn, everything that you know, everything that you experience, you get a higher level of spiritual uh, aspect with God. And then you go back to your sin. It's like you've totally forgot. And yeah. you go totally against uh, everything that the wisdom that God has given you. And, uh, you know, you... But the, the fear of it is is that, you know what, uh, we're all, like Pastor Mitchell says, we're all one step from backsliding. So you, you need to be careful. You need to continue to move forward and maintain the, the Holy Spirit in your life, the spiritual aspect, and that's in prayer. And, you know, the, the thing is is that you look at the, what the world is doing. The world is so anti-God, so uh, bent on pushing that agenda that, uh, you know, prayer is, is a necessity. Reading your Bible is a necessity because if not, you get so consumed with it and it starts to dumb you down. And you need that refreshing. You need that, uh, that uh, you know, that aspect of God moving in your life because yes. if not, it, it, it will take a toll. Yeah, how could it not get better for you when you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're praying, uh, being filled with all the fullness of His mighty power, uh, how can that not open doors for you and and continue to increase uh, your capacity and your potential sage? Um, at the at the risk of sounding uh, overly redundant of, about what Brother George just said, um, I think the one of the greatest things that we don't really appreciate about being saved and, and when we give our life to to Christ is a reorientation of our priorities. So, yeah, He gives us a better a better mental capacity he increases our mental capacity but he also gives us insight into where to direct it i think of um, what solomon wrote later on in life vanity of vanities all is vanity and this is after he spent all this time focusing on things that were not the primary focus of what god had for him when he when he started focusing on himself and what he wanted to wanted to do he he discovered all of this is is vain there's nothing here and but when we when we have that heart for others when we have that servant that servant's heart and we apply what god has given us uh in the proper context we we see just an increase in our potential amen all right we're going to just finish there so next uh, week is going to be uh two weeks i'm going to deal with the the dynamics of your emotional life and it's called emotional intelligence, you can call it emotional maturity, but if you don't deal with the emotional side of your life and get it under the authority of the Holy Spirit, it's going to greatly hinder your potential. You can be a genius in potential, but emotions that are out of control will not allow that to have expression. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, uh, part of our study. So... Um, uh, that's where we're going next week. Lord bless you. We're going to begin service in a few minutes. Amen. Thank you very much.